All right, good morning, everybody. We'll be in Deuteronomy chapters 3 and 4 if you want to turn there. Last Saturday of every month, we have a prayer time here, uh, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. There's a men's conference coming up down in St. Joe, April 20th through the 21st. Actually, the only the teaching time will start on the 21st, so if you don't want to spend the night, you don't have to. It's just a worship night, and then the teaching begins on that Saturday. So I think that's that next Saturday, I think, 21st. Yeah, two Saturdays. Okay, so um, it's down in St. Joe. It's at, uh, uh, no, it's not. It's down in Kansas City, isn't it? At uh, Jim's Church. Um, anyway, we'll get some information out for you. Sorry about kind of short notice. Uh, we don't normally spend a lot of time at this when we go down to the, the new one that they're having in the fall. So, um, But if you're interested in going down to this one, it'll be good too. Garage sale will be May 3rd and through the 5th. I know everybody wants to bring their stuff. We just don't have anywhere to store it. Um, we are getting the garage over there. The, the pad is good. We can put stuff in there. We're getting the dust out um, this week. We've got a guy doing that. Um, and if it doesn't need to be locked up and it can be out in the cold, you can certainly bring it over there and drop it off. That'd be fine. There's no doors on it yet. Um, those are coming whenever it gets warm. Um, but anyway, it's just, it'll be out of the rain anyway. So if you want to bring stuff, you can certainly store it over there. Um, our plan is to get that big classroom, that half of it, uh, where all the, the foosball and everything is, and get all that junk out of there and over to there. Um, and, uh, and then that you can store, we can put garage sale stuff in there. So, you know, we're trying to get that done too. Um, and then get that finally all cleared out so it just stays a classroom for good, not our, not our a dumping place for all of our stuff. Anyway, that's May 3rd through the 5th. But if you can keep it at home as long as you can, that helps us out a lot. Breaking Chains, May 18th through the 19th. Uh, then Youth Camp, um, the sign-up sheets uh, are out there. That's June 13th through the 16th. Um, and uh, you can grab a sign-up sheet, a registration form, and get them signed up. We have about 60, 65 slots for that. Um, so... Uh, this year, I think we're doing we're going to do the Moera course, but we're also going to do trap shooting also. So we're going to add something to there. Um, should be fun. Uh, that's out at Mazingo. If you don't know, if you're new, we go out to the Mazingo camp out there, the kids camp, and we use that. All right, Deuteronomy chapter three. Uh, basically, the second law is what Deuteronomy means. Uh, the second law. Um, it's the same law, but he's going over. Moses is going over it again with the next generation before they head over to the promised land, so that they know that the agreement they have is with God and themselves, not with their parents. You know, it's very important that all of us have our own relationship with Jesus, not based off of what our parents had. Um, we're not saved because my mom and dad was saved, but we're, we're saved because we have a personal relationship with Jesus. And so Moses is just relating uh, the same thing again uh, in a more condensed form. And so some of the things we're going to skip today, we'll go through it pretty quickly um, because we've already covered it um, in the in Leviticus and so on. So, chapter 3, verse 1. Then we turned and went up to the road, uh, up the road to Bashan. And Og of king of Bashan came out against us, and he and all his people to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Hezbon. So, Moses is going over the greatness of their God. Um, these people were big people. We're going to read about that in verse 11 here. Um, not just in uh, quantity, uh, you know, in numbers, but in size. They're just a big folks, okay? Um, and he tells them, I don't want you to be afraid. And so as, as Moses is leading up to, in chapter 5, the Ten Commandments, he wants to let them know, uh, you know, who wrote the Ten Commandments and who it is that's leading and guiding them in the wilderness. So he goes over some of the highlights, you know. Uh, do you remember how big those folks were? Do you remember that battle? Do you remember your mom and dad coming home and saying, man, those are some big dudes, you know, um, and God did it. Well, he wants to remind them of it. And God tells them before they go to battle, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. You shall do to him as you did to Sion, king of the Amorites. I want you to know that I've got you on this. Um, I don't want you to fear. Our tendency is to look at our strength and our resources and compare them to our adversaries, and we'll decide then whether we're going to win or lose. And God says, I don't want you to look at it that way. I don't want you to look at your five foot three, five foot two. That was the average height of a Jew at the time, five foot two stature uh, compared to these nine foot guys. I don't want you to look at it that way. Yeah, they're twice your size in probably numbers also. Um, but I'm telling you that I'm going to, you're going to win. 
I'm going to let you win. I'm going to give it to you. I'm giving them into your hand like I've done before. And so, you know, we always do the coloring page in Sunday school class, and we all know the story of David and Goliath, but there's a lot of David and Goliath stories throughout scriptures. Um, we just don't read about them as much, and they're not as teachable to the kids. You like to keep it simple, so you get one guy, you know, one guy and look at this, and they remember that. But this is exactly, the nation of Israel is used to this. It didn't matter where they go. They were always the little guy, always the little guy, always getting shoved around, always being taken captive, always the ones, you know. I mean, God says, but with me, you're not. You're not that. You're someone else. And that is where, um, not to get too psychological here, but this is where your self-esteem as Christians should come from. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter what other people think of yourself. I mean, you tell your kids that. Don't worry about what they say about you. You know what, Mom and Dad? It's a big deal. That doesn't help me. Well, it doesn't even matter what you think of yourself. Not what other people think. There's always going to be critics. Even for the greatest and the mightiest in the land, there's critics. There always will be. It's what God thinks of you. And honestly, and this is maybe tough love, to think of yourself any other way than how God thinks of you is sin. It's wrong. It's offensive to him. God thinks of me this way. I can't think of myself any other way than what the king of the universe thinks of me. His ways are right. His word is true. What he says about me is correct. The way he made me is right. You can't go second-guessing God. I don't know why he gave me this nose or why I have these ears or whatever it is that you have a problem with that you stare at continually in the mirror, you know? What is wrong with that, you know? How did I get that, you know? It's what God thinks of us. And when we get to the place where we're humble enough to accept him as our king and our Lord and our Savior and we appreciate and value his opinion and his thoughts about us, we begin to take those on ourselves. We begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, as princes and princesses in his kingdom. And so God, our Father, their Father, tells them, don't be afraid. You would be without me, but with me you don't have to be. Don't be afraid. I'll deliver them into your hands. So the Lord, our God, also delivered into our hand Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them, 60 cities, all the region of Argob and the kingdom of Og and Bashan. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a great many rural towns. They do need gates and bars. They do need high walls. And this is one of the reasons two and a half tribes decided to stay. Hey, we got 60 cities. Well, that's pretty nice, you know, move in ready kind of thing. I mean, there's food on the shelves still. That's how bad this beating was. You know, we've got all their stuff. Um, and so that's attractive. And that, that is how it's going to be in the promised land too. They're just going to take over the cities. They don't have to build anything. It's all going to be just given to them. Um, no work involved. Just, just move in and live there. And there's fruit trees and everything's growing. This is the wrong side of the river. Um, but God allows it. And so for two and a half tribes, they get these 60 cities and they live in them. Um, and the description of these cities and the attractiveness of them was their high walls. and They were fortified. Um, and that's fine. And that's good. And, and you do need that um, occasionally. Uh, but for the most part, they, he, he doesn't want them trusting in those kind of things. I don't want you trusting in the, the fortified. Um, I want you to trust in me. I want you to look at me for your defense. I ought to be able to lay out in a sleeping bag in the middle of nowhere and be exact, just fine, as fine as if I were in Fort Knox because I've got God. And that's the kind of faith he wants us to have as Christians. He wants us to walk that way, um, that nothing's going to happen to you that, that isn't allowed by him and that he's not going to bring about for good in your life um, and bring about for good for his purposes, those who are called according to him um, and those who love him. And so um, they may have fortified cities, but that's not, oh, oh great, um, it's not like God's going to say, now that I gave you a fortified city, good luck. No, he's still their defense because there's always a way around fortification. There always is, always a weak spot. Anyway, so he does that. Verse 8, we're going to skip here. Uh, and at that time, we took the land from the land of the two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan uh, from the river Arnon to Mount Hermon. Uh, the Sidonians call Hermon uh, Sirion and the Amorites call it Sinir. And I probably didn't pronounce those right, but he was just giving them those names in case they, you know, this is the place we're talking about, you know, in case you know it by another name. All the cities of the plain, all Gilead and all Bashan, as far as 
uh, Selak and Adriai, cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. So that's pretty big territory. We don't know what that means and probably don't care that much. I don't know. It helps us with our boundaries. It helps us to see where everything takes place. These names do come up throughout the Bible. So you can kind of say, oh yeah, they were up here when they did that. And Jesus was over here when he did that. You can kind of see that. This is about the Golan Heights um, area is, is where it is. So it's the northern portion of Israel now today. This is the important part, verse 11. Uh, For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Uh, Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. Uh, Is it not in Reba of the people of Ammon? Nine cubits in its length and four cubits its width, according to the standard cubit, which is about 18 inches. So he's got about 13 foot long bed by six foot wide bed. Pretty big bed. Um, they're not describing that bed because he was a man of, man of renown, because he was a very important person. A lot of kings had a lot of ornate beds. They were saying it needed to be iron because wood wouldn't hold this guy. Okay? It needed to be 13 foot long because he was about 9 foot long and needed to stretch out his arms above and underneath his pillow like we do. You know, he's a big guy. So big that they kept it and they put it in like a museum type place over at this other city. Isn't it there? Isn't it in, the, in Rabbah? You know, they will walk by and say, man, that's a big bed. These are big people, okay? In case someone would try to diminish what God did, well, they weren't really giants. Um, They were just men of renown. Uh, Okay, then God was obsessed with their size for some reason. I don't know. Um, So I disagree. Verse 12. Um, And this is just a brief thing we're going to read, and then we're going to skip a lot, um, because he's going to describe the land he's giving to the two and a half tribes here. Uh, And this land, the land we just talked about, that just took over from Og, um, uh, that they uh, possessed at that time from uh, Aurora, uh, which is by the river Arnon and half the mountain of Gilead, and its cities I gave to Reubenites, the Reubenites and the Gadites. Those are two of the tribes of Israel. They wanted to stay on this side of the river. And then the half-tribe of Manasseh, they get it. And then he goes on to describe the terrain and everything and where it is um, uh, and and the land that they're going to live in. And, and again, reiterating the promise that if we give you this land over here, you're still going to have to come across and fight for us. So he goes over all of that. All right? Verse 23. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what, what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains uh, and Lebanon. This is Moses asking God, hey, I really, really want to go to the promised land. I mean, I know the whole hitting the rock thing twice was not good. I know you're not happy with that, but I've seen the great things, you've, seen the great things that you've done here, um, and you are a great God. Do you, can you sneak me over there? Do you mind if I get over there? Um, and, and that's fine. He can ask that, kind of, except God's response is not, well, he's not happy. Here's what he says in verse 26. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. And there's an exclamation point there. Now God's loud enough as it is without the exclamation point. So I can't imagine what this sounded like. This is that moment like when your dad said, I've already said no. And you kind of think, oh, I probably should have left that alone. You know, this is one of those things where I don't want you to talk to me about this anymore. I've already said, I've given you my answer. And you know that your next step is not going to be a good one, so you do. You shut up and you're done with it. That's, that's really kind of it. But you didn't know until you asked, right? Now you know. It's uncomfortable the rest of the night. Um, and so God lets him know, you know, that's enough. Speak no more of this to me, of this matter. Don't ask again. It's done. Now, what's interesting, we'll get to this. It's a different story for a different time, but Moses does end up getting across dead. But they get his body over on the other side here, and we'll, we'll read about that eventually. But, um, but as for now, no, you can't go. Um, I don't want you to go. And, and if, you don't, if you don't see God like this, you do now. I think that's why these things are written for us. It gives us an insight into his character. He's not a ball of mush. Um, grace and mercy should never be confused with a, being a pushover, or being a milk toast. my dad used to say, you know, being a wimp or just someone who just doesn't have a spine. No, he gives in when he thinks it's beneficial for us and for his plans and purposes. Um, He does things differently. Uh, That's fine. But when he says no, it's no. And I need to respect that. I need to to do that, you know. 
Um, I need to respect his no as much as I respect his yes and not pout about it afterwards. I think that's where maybe I struggle with the most. You know, I've prayed and I've asked God for this and said no. You know, I have that attitude. Whatever, I guess. I mean, he knows what's best. And I don't really, I don't really take it to heart um, that he's protected me or he's got a purpose or a plan for this no. And it's okay. And instead, I need to learn to thank him and praise him, you know, um, and give him glory for it. Because if he truly is the king of the universe and the king of the universe says, I don't think it's best, I don't want you to go, uh, okay, you know. That is, if I really believe he's king, if he's really the Lord of my life, and I know that he's always for me, then it's easy um, and to remember that. And so he tells him, no, and I don't want to hear about this again. Here's what you can do. Verse 25, 25, 27, excuse me. Go up to the top of Pisgah, pretty high mountain, hill, and lift your eyes toward the west and north and south and east, and behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over the Jordan. But this is, you can look at it from up here. Um, some, there's some places around here you can see really far. And in Sioux City, we have a place where you can see all, all four states, you know, way up north, north northern Iowa. Um, you can get up in uh, Stone Park and get on this one lo- overlook, and you can see, you can see Nebraska, what can you see? South, Nebraska, South Dakota, Minnesota, right? And then Iowa. You can see all four of the states from up there. And that's kind of the view he's getting. I want you to see this land. You can see it, but you can't go across it. So I will let you see it, but you're not going to put your feet on it, basically. Um, but command Joshua. Here's what you can do. Command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before this people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. Teach him. Don't pout about the fact that you don't get to do it. Make sure that you pass on everything you can pass on to this kid so that he can succeed and do the best he can. Give him as much wisdom that I've given you to him. You know, um, And he'll be able to do this. And I, I, There's so many applications for that, for our walk. You know, there's a lot of things I didn't get to do as a kid, you know, and there's a lot of things that I didn't accomplish that maybe I thought I'd accomplish. I mean, I know I'm not old and, you know, one foot in the grave yet or anything like that. Some of you are. Um, but I, I've, I've got time, but I, I also recognize, you know what, it's not for me to do all that necessarily. Um, but I can make sure my kids can have a shot at it, you know, and do my best to make sure that they can do those things and to pass those on to them, to those Joshua's in our lives. Joshuinas in our lives, you know. Uh, make sure that they all have those opportunities um, to do these things. Give them as much as you can. Um, and then be content. And that's hard. Be content with what God's given you to do. All right, chapter 4. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe. They do have to be taught these things. Remember, the law was meant to keep them. Um, it, it meant to show them their sin, but it meant to keep them in a humble place where they knew they needed a Savior, a tutor, to bring them to Christ. And so he's teaching them the judgments that you may live. I'm not giving these statutes so that you can die. They're, they're for you to live. They're really a blessing. And go in and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. You might have heard that before if you've read your Bible all the way through. Revelation talks about this. If you add to anything of the words of this book, he says, I'm going to add to you the curses that are in this book. If you take away any of the words of this book, I'm going to take away from you the promises in this book. And a lot of people try to take that and say, well, that's just for the book of Revelation. That's not for the whole Bible. Well, that's, God knew that someone was going to come up with that brilliant idea and says, how about I put it in Deuteronomy 4 then also? Just in case someone tries to mess with the doctrine. Sound teaching, you know, misrepresent what I meant. When God says it in Revelation, he means the whole book. And I mean all 66 of them, from cover to cover. He means it all. And he means the same thing here. Don't add or take away from God's word. And you'll see that today. People unafraid to say this verse doesn't count, that verse doesn't count. What I really think he means is this. And they add to scripture and it messes things up. It messes things up. That's where you get false doctrine from, weird doctrine. God's word will always protect us. Always. I may come up with something wacky. I've already told the guys. If you see me teaching on some wacky stuff, just whack me over the head afterward. You always don't get to do that. They get, the other guys get to do that. Because um, God's word is pure and it protects itself. This is just one example of the way he does it. It's a, 
it's, it's a, when we talked about this last week, it's a common thread that if you pull one verse out, you end up pulling 27 other verses out at the same time, and they're all connected to 27 others individually, and you, begin, you just pull the whole Bible apart. It is all connected, and it's all needed, and it, it complements itself, it interprets itself. You don't have to get an interpretation. It interprets itself. It tells you exactly what it means. Um, just in case Revelation, you thought, well, that's just the book. Again, Deuteronomy, he tells us, no, it's, it's, it's all the way through. Don't add or take away from my word, ever. And so I need to accept that. And, and when I come across something in here that says that's sin in my life, I've got a decision to make. Do I take it away from the book and say, well, that's not for today. That's kind of Victorianism, you know. Uh, you know, we've, we've evolved from there. Um, it's an old document. It needs to be upgraded. Whatever thought process goes in my mind, remember this one thing. What I'm trying to do is justify my sin. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make sure I'm not guilty by saying the law is stupid. You ever hear that from people? Oh, he pulled me over and he said I did this, that. Isn't that a stupid law? It wasn't stupid when somebody else did it to you. You know? We got to be careful. We got to be careful. I, I, I think I said this before. Self-examination is rarely honest. It rarely is. That's why we need God's Word. His examination of my life, search me and know me, is very honest. He's always going to tell me exactly what I need to hear in a loving way. But when I examine myself, I'm a pretty great guy. Just ask me. You know, I'm pretty awesome. And so God's Word is so valuable that way to really make us, really make us like Him. You know, not just pretend or, or you know, a shell. So make sure you don't take anything away and don't add anything to my Word. Your, your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal Peor. But you, held, you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Just an example. Some of you follow God, and some of you follow Baal, and the Baal people are gone. That's what he means by live. There's always a mixed crowd. There's people that come to church, and they can truly worship. They sing songs to God. They understand the words. They're thinking about Him. They're praising Him. They're really worshiping God. Other people go sing-along time, uh, reading the Bible time, coffee time, and now it's brunch time, and they don't see a distinction between any of those things. It's just kind of what you do on Sunday morning, and they haven't worshipped, nor have they received anything, and you've got to guard yourself from that. You know? just, just some advice. Prepare yourself before you come to church. Prepare yourself with prayer. Put in a worship CD on the way here. Get yourself ready so it doesn't take three or four songs to get into it, as some say. Get yourself into it before you even get into the car, you know. I know a lot of us are finding shoes at that time, but, you know, pray. God, help me find these shoes. Hey, here it is. Praise God. And you're already, you're already there, you know. You're already giving him glory for what he does for you that day. And then you're ready to, to worship. These guys had the same problem. Israel isn't all that great. There were some that were truly worshiping God and were humble and broken and ready to spear people. Remember that guy? who were doing the wrong thing. And then there's other people that were just like, yeah, whatever, wherever the cloud's going, I guess that's where I'll go. Um, just nonchalant with their walk with the Lord. And God says, that's, that's how you die. That's how you die. Be flippant about your walk with Jesus. Be flippant about your Christianity. You, know? um, you could take it or leave it. Um, that's, that's, that's not how you live. Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you should go to possess. In other words, I didn't give them to you just to have them and to own them. The Ten Commandments were never meant to be a placard. They're meant to be followed and done, you know. I don't need to have the Ten Commandments. I didn't need to own a Bible. It has to be read, believed, and imparted, and used, you know, uh, and lived out. Surely I have taught you the statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Man, underline that in your Bible. This is your wisdom and your understanding. God's word is your wisdom. It is your understanding. And it's what people see and say, boy, you're wise. Because you follow it and you heed it and you pay attention to it. Um, you want to be a wise person. You want to be understanding. Keep that in your, in your heart, that, that God's Word is it. In Psalm 119, uh, 
105, 119, 105, I think. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's wisdom to know where you stand and where God's path is and the distance between the two. Hopefully they're right up on top of each other, but sometimes they're not. And that means course correction. It means I need to get over to where his path is, but I only know that through God's word. I can make it up. I can say I'm fine. I can add other things from other religions and say those are okay, but it's not truth. It's not truth. I may be standing on quicksand. Verse 7, For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For what reason, uh, for whatever reason, we may call upon Him. Have you ever heard of anybody having that kind of relationship with their God that He's this close to them, that they can call on Him whenever? That's such a miraculous thing that God's given us. He's very near to us. He's not far away. He's not someone we have to, uh, you know, uh, ingratiate to get His attention. You know, I remember when I would pray as a little kid, when I started praying, you know, the Lord's Prayer, we'd learn it and did it. And I was loud. I was a loud kid. Imagine that. I was loud. And, uh, you know, my mom and dad said, you know, you don't, you don't have to pray that loud. He can hear you, you know. Um, and so then from then on, I'd, I'd practice as soft as I could. I'd say it as soft as I could to see if he could really hear me. And so I'd be, I'd be in my bed. I'd be going, just loud enough so I could hear it. You know, I wasn't mumbling. I was just really soft. And, I, and he did. You know, he's right there all the time. I can ask him anything at any time, and he loves it when you ask him stuff. He so appreciates it when we want his perspective on things. Now, his, his, his wisdom and his, his guidance is valuable to him because you ask him too many times, and you say he's stupid, and he doesn't know what he's talking about, and you go do your own thing. Pretty soon, the next time he asks, he's like, you know what, go ahead, do it your way. Maybe you've had that experience before where people pull you aside and say, I really want to know your opinion. What do you think I should do? And you tell them, oh, yes, oh, this is a no-brainer. You've got to do this. I don't think so. I don't think that's a dumb idea. Okay? Maybe you'll do that once or twice, but the next time they ask you, I really need your valued opinion on this. Gosh, you know what, dude? I don't know. I guess whatever you think is right. Because it's valuable to you. I'm I'm tired of getting stepped on. I'm tired of my opinions and, and thoughts and ideas it isn't that important to you. You just want to, I guess you just want someone to say no to or whatever. God's no different. It's a couple times he shows that. Should we go up and fight or shouldn't we? I don't think you should go up and fight. And we won't go up and fight. Good man. Another time, should we go up and fight? Don't go. I'm telling you, don't go. I'm going to go anyway, I think. Have it your way. You know, it's valuable to him. And so when he says he's very near to us, again, don't confuse God's nearness and graciousness and mercifulness as someone we can just, you know, ask like a magic eight ball or a fortune cookie, you know. God, what do you think I should do? I'm going to meet a prince today, you know, or something, or, or it is to be determined, or whatever the eight ball used to say. These, no, it, honestly, please get this in your hearts. You're asking the king of the universe who made everything, who made you, who knows everything about you, a question. And if he gives you an answer, I can guarantee you it is the answer. You don't need to ask anybody else. If he gives you an answer, that is the answer and the best answer and the only answer you need to consider. And so he's very near and made himself available to us when he didn't have to, but he did. And Moses recognizes that and wants them to recognize that. He says this, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all this law? which I set before you this day. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord, your God, in Horeb. And I'll finish here in a minute. He warns us there's some maintenance on our part to keep ourselves and to take heed to ourselves. I have to examine where I am. Again, Psalm 119, 105. Um, I need to find out where am I. He says the same thing to Timothy. Take heed to yourself and to your doctrine and those around you will get saved. We do. And then we have to keep ourselves. And I tell you, it is hard to stay the course of what God has called you to do. It is difficult to stay the course. There are many, many, many ideas and thoughts about how you should run your life. And everybody's willing to share them to you. Well, I think God's saying this. I think God's saying this. That's great. I'm glad God is speaking to you. Now you go doing what God spoke to you. 
But when God speaks to you and tells you to tell me, I'm wondering what's wrong with my relationship and my communication with him then. How come I'm not hearing this from God? Why is he telling you to tell me? Am I like in sin or something or what's going on? Be careful about that. Stay true to your course. And it takes elbows sometimes to get through. You need to do this. Nope, I'm not doing that. You're hard-hearted. You don't understand the needs of the people or this. I'm like, no, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I know exactly where we're headed. I know exactly my instructions. If God's called you to do that, absolutely go do it. But you can't. You've got to stay true. Th- think about the old prophet and the young prophet. It's, a, it's kind of a sad story. The young prophet gets this message from God. I want you to go tell these people this thing. And when you're done, I want you to go straight home. Don't go another way. Go exactly this way. And, 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 I, and I don't want you stopping anywhere. And sure enough, the old prophet comes along on his way back and stops the young prophet he says, why don't you come over for dinner? And he says, no, God told me I'm supposed to go straight. He says, yeah, but God told me to tell you, come eat at my dinner. Come at, well, okay, you're the old prophet. And he went, and he spent the night. And when he woke up, he went home and got eaten by a lion on the way. Now, there's no lions out here, thank goodness. But I tell you, God is protecting us from more things than we could probably imagine. And I don't need to know all those things. And I don't want him to have to waste his time telling me, you know, why this way, God? Well, because this was going to happen to you and this was going to happen to you. And they were waiting for you over here. And if you do this, this is going to line up for you 10 years from now. You have to go this way. I don't want him to have to tell me all that. I I trust him enough to just say, if this is the way I'm supposed to go, this is the way I'm going to go because you see everything. Your perspective is awesome. And if this is the way... Wouldn't that be a great prayer time or, or worship time to just spend some time in prayer saying, God, I have no idea what you protected me from, but I want to thank you for all of it, for that other thing or whatever it was, and I don't even need to know the names of them, but I know you've done it. I know you've protected me, and I thank you for that, and help me to continue to follow your path. And so that's all he's saying. Stay on this path. Take heed to yourself and watch, and then teach your kids. Teach your grandkids these things teach them. They're going to have to have their own personal relationship, but they've got to see it working in you too. You are the best living epistle that they're ever going to see. You're the best Bible chapter they're ever going to see in their life. Actual practical application. Mom and dad prayed, then this happened. God is amazing. And they will come to those conclusions on their own. You won't even have to tell them. They just need to be able to see it happening in your life. You know, on the other hand, if they see you, mom and dad didn't pray, things turned out terrible. And who knows, you know, they learn that stuff. Well, why should I pray about things? You guys never prayed about things or never brought us into it. You just kind of did it, you know? We winged it, you know? Some of it turned out okay, some of it didn't, so I'm going to wing it. No, he says, I don't want you to wing it. I want you to teach it to your children. I want you to teach your grandchildren these statutes. Very important. Now, um, <laughs> verse 11, Then you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire to the midst of heaven with darkness, cloud, and thick smoke. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. He's setting us up for something here. You didn't see anything. You only heard. You only heard the voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, the Ten Commandments, which he gets to in chapter 5. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone, and the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. So I'm supposed to teach you these things, and I have. Um, now, for them, they had to be taught. Guys, as born-again believers in Jesus Christ, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant has passed away. Those things aren't needed anymore. I don't need stone tablets. Don't misunderstand me. The Ten Commandments are still true, but I have the Holy Spirit in me that now convicts me. I don't have to, have, I don't have to walk by the park and read them. Oh, yeah, that's right, no adultery. Oh, here's your candy back. I'm not supposed to steal. I forgot about that one. We don't need that. We know that in our heart as believers. I can walk in the Spirit and know right from wrong. It doesn't mean I'm obedient all the time, but I know when I'm not obedient and I know when I've done the right thing. Okay, That's the point. We have those. Nobody has to teach me these things. The Holy Spirit is in me, in us, and we walk that way. Verse 15, Take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, lest you act corruptly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. 
the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes to heaven. And when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as, an, as a heritage. We have a tendency to that. We like to see. I want to make something. And that's where the golden calf came from. And that's where you get astrology from. And people worshiping the stars. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Libra. I'm a... I'm a really? You think that because the stars were in such a position when you were born that that's who you are? And that depends on where they are in the position of the sky? That's absolutely ridiculous. None of that is true. You are who God says you are. Not what creation does. In fact, he brings everything down. All these things you want to exalt, I've made to give to you as a heritage. The stars, the moon, you own Venus, you own Saturn, you own the sun. They don't own you. We don't serve them, they serve us. They bring us warmth, they give us seasons, you know. A lot of them protect us from asteroids and things like that. I mean, it's really cool how God set this up. Giant masses with such a gravitational pull that giant speeding asteroids go, get stuck in it instead of us. Thank you. He made all of this, everything, and the last thing he made was people. And he placed us here and said, look what I've made you. Little tiny, tiny people, two little people. He set him here and he says, enjoy. I mean, that's a huge deal. Some of us are just like a nice apartment, you know? And he makes this whole thing and says, now you can name the animals. You can do whatever you want to do. It's all for you. And it's going to take you forever to figure out everything I've hidden. Wait till you get submarines, you know? You're going to see stuff at the bottom that no one's ever seen before. Glowing fish. Whoa, you know? Please keep that perspective as the world tries to bombard you and teach you that you're nothing more than bacteria on this earth ruining it for everything else. That life doesn't matter in human beings. Human beings are the problem. They're wrong. And without the knowledge of God, this is what foolish man comes up with. That we're the problem. If it's true, if we're bacteria, if we're ruining this planet, if we're the ones that are the problem here, then we should just all be exterminated and be okay with it. Well, it's a good thing that tsunami happened. Didn't need all those folks over there anyway. You know, Good thing that earthquake took out 10,000 in India. That's just better for the earth. And we should celebrate. It's ridiculous. It's wrong. It's satanic. It's demonic to think that way. So God says, please don't start making me out to be one of these things I made for you. They're for you, you know? So important we understand this. And on a side note, do you know that every single picture of Jesus is wrong? He's not, he does not going to look like that. I guarantee you, when you get up there, you're going to like, you don't look anything like your picture. And some people think, well, that's, that's, you know, that's not right. That's Jesus over there. No, it's not. I love that meme that they put up on Facebook. Of, is it Obi-Wan Kenobi? Who is it? Is it Obi-Wan Kenobi? And he's got this robe on. They said, I bet you won't share this because you're afraid to have Jesus on your Facebook post. I'm like, that's Star Wars. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. And people are sharing it. I'm not afraid to share Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's an actor, you know? And people do that to make us Christians look like dopes. And we do. We fall for that stuff. Well, I want to be blessed. Share. <laughs> I don't know how big God can roll his eyes, but I guarantee you he can't roll them big enough. Really? You think I'm going to bless you because you shared my name? I'm the great I am. I flung the stars into space by the word of my mouth. I'm not worried about popularity and I'm not worried about fame. I have it. I own it. I am it. You know? Anyway, he's a big God. What I love about this is I want you to know my voice. I don't want you to worry about what I look like. He doesn't say you're going to recognize your shepherd by what, he see, what you see. You're going to hear your shepherd's voice and you're going to recognize it because he guides us with his voice. He guides us with his word. Just like J.C. prayed, I've magnified my word above my name. Hear me, listen to me. I am trying to give you life and speak life to you through my word. Just learn my voice. Who cares what I look like? We get some glimpses of white hair and you know, fiery eyes and all that from other people you know, in the Bible, but 
That doesn't matter. I want you to hear my voice, you know, and to recognize that. So, oh boy, better hurry. Okay, anyway, don't carve anything. Don't form anything. And here's what he says in verse 25. See how I skipped? (laughs) When you beget children and grandchildren have grown old in the land and act corruptly, whatever you do, don't make any carved images. So when you do, he says, this is what's going to happen. Now follow this all the way through. It gets sad and then it gets happy again, so hold on. And do evil in the sight of the Lord, your God, and provoke him to anger. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. You were told, and I'm going to call this day as a witness against you, that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And that happened. That's exactly what happened. They go into the promised land. They begin to worship idols because they don't get rid of everybody they're supposed to get rid of, and they begin to bow down and do that, and they get defeated and they get scattered. Now, one of the prophecies of the last days is when you see the nation of Israel become a nation again, when you see that come back into the place. And the UN did that. God used the UN. We have a people group that have been scattered for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years all over the world and never lost their identity, kept their national status in a sense, and they got their land back and they moved back and picked up almost right where they left off. That's a miracle. That's a prophecy being fulfilled. Right now, we see them flooding back there. Immigration's huge back there. All the Jews are, not all, a lot of the Jews are returning. Some of them don't want to return. They like where they are, but a lot of them are returning there. Um, And it's neat to see. And so here's the second part, verse 28. And there you will serve gods when you get scattered throughout the nation. The work of men's hands, wood and stone, and neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. In other words, that's that moment when God says, you don't want my advice, have it your way, and they do. But from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you're in the darkness and uh, these things come upon you in the latter days, then you, when you turn to the Lord, your God will, Lord your God, and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. I will hear you. And sometimes that's what it takes. You've got to get all the way down there before you begin to cry out to God. Um, our God is a deliverer. It's what he does. He gets us out of Egypt but not only does he get us out of Egypt, he wants us now to live for him. He may have saved you from your sins and saved me from my sins, but he wants us to live for him now. You know, not just remember that, oh yeah, Jesus died, Easter. No, now he wants you to live for him. Don't live for him for 30 days, you know, before Easter. Live for him 365, you know, all the time. For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask, from one end of heaven to the other, whether any great thing like this has happened or anything like it has, uh, like it has been heard, and it hasn't been. Now, verse 30, 35, to you it was shown that you might know the Lord himself is God, and there is none other besides him. Now, he talks about little G's throughout the Bible, little gods throughout the Bible, but that doesn't mean there are inferior gods it's, they're gods because we've made them gods. So the chair, I can call my God and I can bling it out and worship it and put candles around it and fall down and do everything I was supposed to do, but it's just a chair. And, and just because I form a piece of metal into a bird or I form it into some kind of person, you know, with wings or something like that, it's still just metal that can be melted down and turned into a fork or a spoon if you need to, you know. It's just a thing. And God says, I want you to know there are no other gods. You can make them, but there is no one else to help you. I am the only one. That's just got to settle in in this room and hopefully settle in in this world. There isn't other gods to choose from. I'm going to choose door B. There isn't any door B or door number two. There's only one God, and he made you. Um, You can't change that. And so, um, anyway, I'm trying to get ahead here. Let's get to verse 41. Um, This is a part where he gives three cities. Uh, three cities of refuge. They're going to set up a bunch of cities. They're on this side of the Jordan. They've got some land. They've given it over to the two and a half tribes. And now they need three cities, north, south, and central, uh, for them to run to in case they get in trouble. And that's where he describes this. Now, 
Uh, we're not going to get to chapter 5, but we are going to read the, the, the build-up to it. The, the Ten Commandments is next week. Here's what God's, or Moses says through God, or God says through Moses. Now, this is the law which Moses set before the children of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes, the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt, on this side of the Jordan, in the valley, opposite Beth Peor, in the land of Sion, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. That's one sentence. Here's the next sentence. There's only two sentences in this huge... Talk about run-on sentences. And they took possession of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites, who were on this side of the Jordan toward the rising of the sun from uh, Eror, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to Mount Sion, and in a parenthetical, this is Hermon, and all the plain on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the Sea of Arabah, Araba, whatever, below the slopes of Pisgah, we're done. My goodness. Um, this is important, he says. The next chapter is super important as we get into the, the Ten Commandments, because these are things that are supposed to be built in to the people. Abraham had these things built in. Um, but they were forgetting him, and so he had him write him down on stone. He's going to talk about those things next week. These are the things you're not supposed to do. These are the things you're supposed to do, and we'll get to that. All right, the guys are going to hand out communion. Um, this is a time when we remember what God has done for us, and he wanted us to do this in remembrance of him, and that's why he, we have this. Um, as we celebrated Easter last week, we remember that Jesus rose from the dead, which confirmed the fact that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient. He was the he was the lamb that took away the sin of the world. He was acceptable, perfect, flawless, without blame, or without, without sin. Um, he was a, a faultless lamb. And death can't hold innocence. And so he rose from the dead, and that proves that he was enough. And now before, the night before uh, he, that he went, thank you, the night before he went and uh, died on the cross, he, he, they were having their meal, the Passover meal, we believe, um, before the two uh, um, celebrations that were going to take place, one on Friday, one on Saturday, the, the, the normal. Um, anyway, he took the bread that they were eating at that time, and he broke it, and he passed it around, and he said, take and eat. Um, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember this, that this is my broken body, that I, I willingly broke it, and I willingly gave it to you. Okay, it's for you, and I want you to eat of it. I want you to benefit from my death tomorrow. That's what he was saying with that. So every time we eat this, he wants us to remember that. You, you're going to benefit from my death. It's a good thing that's going to take place. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son. It, it's, it's, a, it's not something I regret. I regret being a sinner that needed this sacrifice, but I'm so grateful for what he has done. And he wants us to be. And, and he partook too with everybody. He ate. This, is, this, is, this makes us one. My death on the cross, my resurrection makes us one. Okay, so let's eat together. He also took the cup that was sitting at the table, and they'd pass one big cup around and share it, basically. And, and he said, this is the cup of my new covenant, of my blood. And his blood was going to be shed, and it's going to be shed for you. Um, and as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me, that the stripes you're going to see me go through tomorrow, the beatings, the crown, the spear, the nails, all of that, all that blood, it's for you. And I want you to benefit from that. By his stripes, we're healed, he tells us. I want you to benefit. So this morning, as we're eating and drinking, or we're holding it in our hands anyway, he wants us to remember what Jesus has done for us, how he's died for us, that it's perfect, and that's what gets us to heaven, okay? And to remember that. And we need to do this as often, and so we do it today. Now, Paul, when he's writing, adds something to this afterwards. He says, but also, beware that you, or be careful that you don't eat or drink this, in an unworthy manner. That's a dangerous thing to eat in an unworthy manner. And so the big question is, what's an unworthy manner? You know, I don't want to do anything wrong. What's an, an unworthy manner is someone who hasn't judged themselves. Someone who hasn't looked at themselves and said, I need a Savior. That I'm a sinner. That I've violated God's law and that I'm separated from Him. And no matter how good I am, I can't undo the bad I've done. I can only, I can only do good from here on out, but it doesn't take care of my crimes. That has to be that has to be judged. I know that. And so to eat and drink in a worthy manner is what Paul says in the very next couple sentences. He says, then if you want to eat in a worthy manner, judge yourselves and you will not be judged. I need to judge myself. 
I don't want to stand before God's judgment. None of us do. The white throne judgment, we won't have to stand before that. I want to stand before his Bema seat judgment, which is the rewards judgment, like at an Olympic stadium. You know, well done, good and faithful servant. So I don't want to stand before that white throne, and neither do you. I guarantee you don't. You judge yourself now. And that's all you do. And that's what this quiet time is going to be before we eat and drink together is for us and you, if you decide to, if you don't know Jesus, if you're in an unworthy manner right now, to make it right and judge yourself. Just confess it to him. God, I'm a sinner. I've broken your law. I'm a criminal. I deserve judgment. But I also know that your son died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that. And I'm taking that. I'm owning that. I'm going to be a part of that today. I'm going to benefit from his death on the cross. And I know that that is how I get saved. That's the conversation you have with him. Forgive me for my sins. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Now I want to live for you. All right? The rest of us just need to thank him. You know, let's take some time. Lord, we thank you for this time, this moment right now. Uh, we've come here this morning. We could have been in a lot of different places, but we decided to be here together to worship you in spirit and truth. And you've met us here. Um, you have spoken to us by your word, and it's in our hearts. And now all that's left to do is to do it, to be obedient to it. At this time right now, as we're holding this little juice and bread in our hands, we do remember what you've done. You broke your body for us. This is your choice. And you shed your blood for us. And that was your choice also because you loved us. And we thank you for that, God. And so, um, Lord, we appreciate you. Thank you that you're our friend. You call us friends. We thank you that you're our father. Um, and we thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for leading and guiding us. Thank you for all you've done for us. Lord, we are content. We are content with what you've blessed us with. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you're, you're glorified today. Lord, this week we're going to have opportunities to minister to other people. We pray that as we've been refreshed this morning um, and encouraged by you and your word, help us to be that for those around us. This world is desperately lost. They don't know who they are. They don't know who you are. They've removed you from their mind, and from their heart, and now they're stuck with their own mind and their own heart, and they don't know what to do with it. They need truth. They need love. Uh, they need light. And God, help us to be that. By your strength, by your spirit, help us to be that. In Jesus' name. Let's eat. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this day. Help us to be cracked vessels, usable by you, uh, that we would not get any attention, but they would only see Christ in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.